S-I-C-S-K-I-I-E-C-M-A-N-I-N-I-L-Y-S-Z-E-H-M-T-I-S-Z-K-A-M-I-L-A-Y-H-L-Y-S-I-C-N-I-M-M-K-N-L-Y-
Um, the uh, I think it's, this is on the Blu-ray. Uh, it's on Extra Features, uh, if memory serves. And I, I don't know. I just thought if you're a film nerd, it's definitely worth watching, which is all kind of in the service of saying, um, well, wh- whatever Lucas says and about whether this is doable or not, there is this, to Jaser's point, which is, so his original, his point, is, as I understand it, was why, you know, why not take the resources, if there's any movie in the entire universe that people would, like, the most talented people in the entire world would be more than happy to work on for free <laughs> to do anything to improve. There's, I mean, what do you, I mean, like what? Maybe like what? Metropolis, mm. Citizen Kane, mm. um, what, maybe like M. I mean, there's certain movies that, well, maybe not M, but there's certain movies that people feel so strongly about that as, like, these artifacts. And clearly, how many nerds, like, became nerds in large part because of the Star Wars franchise. And so his point was, boy, isn't it kind of crazy? That, that, that doesn't hold. I'm sure he can fix this in, in FU next time if all the things I'm getting wrong here. But, but why isn't it nuts to say that? Well, here's the proof in the pudding. Along the lines of like the Purple Chick um, remasters, well, not Purple Chick, but the Purple Chick collections of remasters of, of records. Do you know about these where people go out and basically remaster all the Beatles albums, all the Beach Boys albums? Hmm. You can get far better than the CDs that were re-released. People went in and have gone... You can get a near canonical version, for example, of um, it's the one after Pet Sounds, Smile, the abortive, actual original Beach Boys Smile. People have gone in and actually c- further cut up Good Vibrations to make this really canonical version of Good what Vibrations. Are they, well, I mean, what are they starting from? They don't have like the they original. They start from everything. They start from virgin vinyl copies of really? original Beatles records. And these guys, I mean, this is just, I'm just saying that this fan edit culture, it's not just a bunch of like people doing fan fiction about, you know, you know, uh, Warren G. Harding and Albert Fall. I mean, this is real stuff. This is like they're making stuff. And, I, and, and here's what's cool about it also. So this dude, um, I forget his name, Aguar, Aguar, we'll get it in notes. But if you, if you Google um, A New Hope Revisited, there are people who've done different versions of trying to fix just, first of all, innumerable continuity errors in the movies that the nerds notice, but also just fixing the classic example. I think, actually, John mentioned this, of, like, in certain fight scenes, you can see the mats on the TIE fighters. You see, like, a, you right. see a TIE fighter that's on a square that's, <laughs> that's turning. <laughs> and, you know, if you get the, is it the C, the, I can't even keep track of all the releases, but on, hidden away very deeply, deeply, deeply inside one of the DVDs from the last few years is the original 77 Star Wars. You know that, right? Yeah, I have that. Okay, and it does look pretty. You know, it it looks like an old VHS tape. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't look great. But basically, what these folks have done is taken the best version they can find of the George Lucas mucked up versions, and they've gone in. And if you you can see the link, we'll link to the list of changes, the like 250 changes that have been done by this one guy. What's neat though, is he's building on other people's work too. So some people have done fixes of the movie and then they'll make that available to other people. And it's almost like not precisely open source, but because for any variety of reasons, it's not open source. But the version I watched the other night, uh, if it existed, which it doesn't, was just extraordinary what they'd done. The, uh, so much is fixed. I mean, not, not to spoil it, but stuff like, did you never ever notice how Chewie doesn't get a medal in the last scene and you're kind of bummed? Yeah. Chewie gets a medal and it looks like he's wearing a medal. It's <laughs> awesome. He takes all, like most of the rats out of Mos Eisley, those annoying rats that didn't need to, the, the whatever yeah. they call the, And um, I mean, crazy stuff like I never noticed in a million years, like when uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi cuts off the dude's arm in the cantina. Mm-hmm. 
it's, it should be the opposite arm that you see on the ground. I forget if it's left or right. But he fixes that. He fixes, he fixes, wow. they fix scenes in, back in the control room when they're getting ready to do the, uh, the big, you know, Death Star thing. Like where there were reverse shots, he fixes all, it's, anyway, this could not be more of a derail. Um, but, oh my gosh, it's, if, if you enjoy it, go out and find these things. They are out there. Um, a New Hope Revisited. And, and so I think, I'm sure there, you will find things not to like about it. John Syracuse is is saying he says uh, he says Chewie not getting a medal is canon and should not be changed and he says no wonder I never watched this re- uh, revisited thing it's blasphemous. Mm-hmm. Okay, well we need to get we need to get in the same place and talk about. I this. know you do. We'll do well, that on a special what, five by five. You know what I would special. say, Jason? How about this? So how about you go file a bug? How about you, how about you go do it? You go do a checkout. Why don't you do that? Why don't you go to the GitHub for Star Wars and fix it? Big shot. He's not on here to say anything. Um, I don't know that. I didn't know that. I don't know about canon. I do love going to Wikipedia pages where people talk about what's canonical because it delights me. I love going to the Wikias, the, the Wikipedia. Holy God. It's, you remember that back like 10 years ago, somebody made that what was like the hierarchy of geeks. You know, yeah. you've got, you've got, you got <laughs> at the, you know, you've got like people who like Star Trek and below that you've got people who like write Star Trek fan fiction and below that you've got, you know, I don't know. Star Wars, it's, there's always going to be a, uh, what's that thing in, in um, investment? They call it the greater fool. Like there's always going to be a greater nerd. Oh yeah. But I, I thought it was delightful. I thought it was great. And I watched it with the track on where he shows you what changed and just like the, the fight scenes they've done. They've, and I think, I mean, in that case, I mean, I maybe that's an example of why this wouldn't be fun to a lot of people if it's, if they're really into the canonical stuff. But from my point of view, um, it really improves the experience of the movie. Subtle stuff, like the eyes on the people in the cantina, the eyes on the monsters move very slightly. Mm. Darth Vader's buttons very subtly flash instead of not flash. One dude in the cantina, his eyes are no longer transparent when they shouldn't be transparent. It's very subtle, but it looks, and it's DVD quality, but anyway, that's, uh, so now we're at minute uh, 21. Yeah. And uh, so that's that's some follow-up on, on uh Star Wars. How old were you when you saw Star Wars? Four, a little about four and a half. Really? Some something in that range. Yeah, it was the first movie I ever saw in the theater. Oh, you saw it probably on the like the re-release, like nineteen nineteen eighty or whatever. No, I saw it the year it came out. Seventy, oh, okay. whatever, six or seven. I saw it the week it came out, and I had no idea. I mean, I didn't know anything about it. My friend, about, my, so you were about twelve. I was ten. Not that old, uh, yeah. Okay, I'm that old. I'm just about, I'm just about that old. <laughs> now, my friend John, his uh, his uncle Jack took us out. And he's like, "Hey, let's go see this movie. I hear this is going to be good." And we're like, "Whatever." You know, at this point, you understand the kind of movies we're, we're going to is like you know Disney's Blackbeard's Ghost, or you know we're going to see like one of those terrible Pink Panther movies. You know, and by the way, I, I can't believe you didn't know. You know, David Niven, by the way, was yeah. not just you know he was in Casino Royale, right? Yep. Okay, he wasn't he wasn't just the Phantom. Just saying no. So I know I didn't I didn't address that, but. Okay. I figured people problem. would know, you know, he's, I don't think he's remembered for Casino Royale, or I hope he's not, because that movie it's, was horrible. It's not, it's not a great movie. It's horrible. Not. I don't want, if, the, the reason that I did that was intentional, it's that I don't want people who haven't oh, yeah. seen it to, to go see it, because it's, it's terrible. It's interesting as a curiosity, but just barely. because of all the behind the scenes stuff. But it, um, Barely. Um, mm, we should move on to something else. Uh, I, yeah, I was 10. I, I had no idea what was happening. I went in there, we saw it, and then... I walked out of my life was different in a oh, way yeah. that is really kind of embarrassing. It's like I, I came out of there and I was just agog. I didn't want to think yeah. about anything else for two years. It was like, that was it. That was everything with Star Wars for two years. 
It was ridiculous. Probably in a way like like kids were with like, you know, like cowboy things maybe or, you know. Oh, yeah, exactly. No, the, for, for all those years in the 50s when all they had were, you know, cowboys and cowboy hats for us growing up, it was Star Wars. That was it. Right. That was That's it. Was, there was nothing else that was, I mean, yeah. everything else was cool, but nothing was cool the way Star Wars was cool. Absolutely not. It was, there was nothing even on par. I mean, yeah. And, and I think that's partly why Stinky Pete got so mad, you know, then the space stuff came along. Yeah. You know? No, I can, I can understand that. Or Stinky Pete. Can I tell you one of my favorite lines in that movie? Yeah. <clears throat> Turn me around, bullseye, so I can see. You did that very nicely. <laughs> it, it makes me laugh. I just love the idea that you look and it's the back of a box. And yeah. when he goes, it's a box. And yeah. Goes, Turn me around, bullseye, so I can see. Agency. Oh, is this our topic? Could be. Um, um, like the difference between agency and just uh, company. I haven't completely thought this out, which will surprise you. But listening to the to Marco talk about that stuff and some stuff I'm thinking about, or, in or variety, agency in. Uh, okay, well, specifically, um, my here's my thesis or my theme statement um, is. Well, first of all, to define the term, what I mean by agency. Yeah. Um, to me, agency, for our purposes, well, a- agency is control, if you think about it. Uh, you can think about agency in the sense of your personal agency to do the things that are the things you choose to do. But I'm really super- Like your, infl- your influence. Well, or your intentionality, mm. right? So, so you, could, you could say, for example, I'm going to decide to work with this person and not that person. Or you're going to say, I'm going to decide to, you could even say, I'm going to decide to write a blog post about this rather than that. Or you could say, I'm going to take this, this podcast that people are nice enough to listen to and ramble incoherently about something related to Star Wars for 20 minutes, mm-hmm. that, which is probably a poor use of agency. But I'm really interested in the notion of conferring agency. Um, and so, yeah, obviously you could think about that in terms of, gosh, stuff I've had, speaking agents, um, you know, literary agents, you could think about booking agents, but I'm really interested in, in, in the, the bigger notion of how and when we decide to empower other people to speak and act for us and how we know when that's going well. And uh, if we have an extra two hours, how to relate that to something super interesting Marco was talking about, which is, you know, I, I love what he said about working. And again, you have to refer back to, um, um, so what is that? That's S, uh, S one E 13 of build and analyze. Mm-hmm. Pretty good, huh? S one season one. Mm-hmm. E stands for episode. Yeah. It's, it's, it's called, it's, it's called, it's called scene naming. Dan, look mm-hmm. it up. Mm-hmm. No, I'm familiar with it. There's a lot of people who ask me what, what it means when you say things like that. So I'm just walking them through it. Walking them through it. A lot of people. <laughs> Goes on the soundboard. Um, <laughs> And what he talks about that I think is so interesting is like working at that place. Uh, he worked at some place called uh, uh, Joyfulness or Ebullience, or he worked at one of those those companies that's a noun. And uh, he uh, talks about um, how yeah, it's, it's really interesting. You learn a lot. And this is where I thought he was, of course, unintentionally, but like so in a wonderful way, talking about the same stuff we talk about. Like, how do you get better at stuff? Like he had that great remark. It's something I totally agree with, which is it you probably don't want to be the smartest person in your company. Can I just say, I hate being the smartest person in the room. That just terrifies me. Gosh, you must never want to go anywhere. That's sweet. But no, I, I certainly don't want to be the most responsible person in the room. I never want to be the most on-topic person in the room. I, I need to feel that I'm learning more from somebody else. Otherwise, I'm going to, you know, you know what I'm saying? You must have that on some level. 
And on, on his level, he's talking about, well, you know, yeah, sure. He, he used to be the best programmer at Tumblr, and then other people came in, and they could look at code together. Right. Just you do learn a lot when you're collaborating with other people. And straight back to probably half of our visits is this notion of trying to learn by proximity to other people. So that's a lot to talk about in one show, so we might want to cut that up. But uh, if I were to summarize what I'm thinking about today, um, where do we find the balance in deciding – this relates somewhat to the time and attention stuff, I guess, but where do we find the right balance about putting our head down, doing work, trying to get great at stuff? And then how do we decide when it's time to get outside of our heads, when to get outside, when to release our code, if you like? And then, I don't know if this is completely unrelated, but I'm just super interested in how much you entrust other people with your projects, with your agency, if you like. Because I've had a lot of bad experiences with it personally, and I can cite half a dozen very well-known examples of where agency has gone completely tits up for people and they didn't realize it for years. So maybe we'll call that two topics and you pick one, which one you want to talk about. Can we talk about agency? I like agency. Yeah. You talked about, um, you guys both talked about something. I totally, I, I totally agree with, uh, one of like headhunters and, mm. uh, you know, what, what do you call them? Recruiters, right? Recruiters. It's a pretty, it's a pretty nasty business by and large. You know, it's the, like the, it's the, I think, was it Marco who said that it's almost like the used car salesman side of the tech industry? Yeah, it's, it's, it's in some ways, I think of it in much the same way as something like SEO or sweepstakes or really anything that is, well, Trojan horse is a term of art in computers. So it's not, I mean, Trojan horse really in like the Greek sense where you feel like you're getting a present and it's really full of guys with swords. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, for example, S, what is SEO? Well, like I said the other day, to me, SEO is, is somebody yelling uh, New Jersey and then hoping everybody thinks they're Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> it really is about a you know, certain kind of, you know, there's a certain kind of certainly white hat SEO that we all know how to do. We'll name stuff sensibly, have a permalink, have a canonical. I mean, that stuff's a no-brainer. It's called web development. It's not SEO. But there's a certain kind of SEO, which is really a, about being sort of misleading and making you look more important or canonical than you are, which is, let's be honest, that's what a lot of SEO is. You don't hire people to give you canonical earls. You hire people to make you look better on Google. You know, And I guess you could argue one way or another how much of that is white, gray, or black hat, but at the heart of it, it's about taking somebody that isn't winning in a meritocracy and, and then having, you know, trying to win. And to the point now, we're going to talk to Jason Snell. I mean, a, a story that was written for Macworld will be at the fifth return on Google because somebody is more effectively scraping it. So thanks, SEO, you know? Yeah. But I think it's a similar thing here. Um, I think, like you say, how many times have you gone and applied for a job? And as Marco said, it's not strictly lying. It's, it's a kind of like dishonesty by omission where you think you're maybe talking to the person who's going to hire you, but it's actually just some recruiter, you know? And, and so why is that a problem? Well, for, for like, like a number of things we can talk about, it's problematic because you're maybe you don't have all the information you need to decide whether that's a good decision. And in a weird way, <clears throat> you're entrusting your elements of your future and your, I don't like the word brand, but your sense of self almost to somebody mm. else. Cause there's somebody else out there who's speaking for you. And you, you know, and I'm always personally, I'm always concerned about anybody who speaks for me. If anybody's ever seen like my major public flameouts on the web, a lot of the times my flameouts are not about quote unquote stealing my flameouts are about making it look like we have an association that doesn't really exist. So my, you know, I'm not, my site's not as popular as it used to be, but there was a time when my site was being scraped hundreds of times a day. 
I think it probably still happens just because it's easy enough to do. I, I, yeah, I worry about duplicate content penalty. You know, I don't really worry about losing ad revenue. I worry about somebody not knowing that, that that's, that's my thing. I'm not worried that they'll mistake it for somebody else necessarily, but you know what I mean? That I don't like when somebody speaks for me. I did not like it when all things D started aggregating other people's content without asking permission. I really didn't like it when Lifehacker started running posts from my site without asking me. Hmm. They started just scraping feeds and they considered it a big favor that they were running people's stuff when wrapping it in ads on their site. And my friend Gina was nice enough to take me out of that because she's awesome, but I, boy, stuff like that really irks me. And I have to imagine for the John Grubers and, and Marcos and Dan's of the world, it, it's, it's irksome, you know, because I can always make more, as I've said in, I said, as I said in that All Things D thing, like I can always make more of what I do. But if you, if you scrape my name off the label, that makes my job a lot harder. So if somebody else does that to us, well, that really sucks. We, but the truth is, if you're putting stuff on the internet, you don't have that much control. Like what's your option? You're going to watermark it out of your pictures until they don't even make sense anymore? Like what are you going to do? But I think the really interesting thing is when we confer agency to other people and just to reel off a quick, uh, uh, you know, unordered list, um, things like, yes, book agents, music agents, uh, business managers, um, anybody who stands to make a portion off of what you do on some level or appear to make a portion off of what you do by speaking for you. So I've had bad experiences with that. And so mainly, uh, for one thing, I wanted to whine about that, but I also wanted to talk about, as we do look to, where does, how does this fit into our arc? As we do look to build our independence and expertise, as we look to do, do more of what we enjoy doing, as we look to, beg your pardon, as we look to get more exposure, especially, right? There are times where we're going to have to kind of trust other people to speak for us. And I wanted to talk a little bit about how that can go well or poorly, and how, how we sort of know if we're letting the right people speak for us. I mean, how many people on a daily basis do you think have to make this decision? Do you have to hit a certain point? Do you have to become popular enough? Or are you talking about agency that uh, across the board, having everything from a, you know, a real estate agent on? How do you get a raise? You, you walk in the door and you ask your boss. Ah, agency. You don't have a direct line to the person who cuts the checks right. on any number of levels. This may sound abstract. I don't think it is. That's the kind of agency that is so um, hegemonic, so, so accepted that we don't even think of that as agency. But that's a big agency. You know, again, back to my grandfather who worked at Cincinnati Gas and Electric from the 30s to the 60s. He had exactly the same job for over 30 years. He had total agency to a union and a company, right? They, he was almost like a child. Mm. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. he, like, I, like I've said a lot, he's a child who got to retire. But, you know, his, uh, every element of his career, the decisions about what he needed to know for his job, the decision about, like, what truck he was going to get to drive that day, you know, everything. He, he was not in a position to do a lot to change his job. He did not have a lot of agency. By having that kind of job, he seated a lot of agency. Now, let's just be honest. That was a fantastic decision. <laughs> to get a job with benefits during the Depression is a good gig. Um, something I think about a lot now and that I'm writing about a lot in the book is like, gosh, would you even want to do that today? Do, you know, would, so yeah, trusting your boss as the person who decides on some level whether it's even the right time to ask somebody else whether mm, you should get a raise. Right. I, don't, don't you think that's a kind of agency? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
I think there's examples of that everywhere. I mean, you know, your parents are agents in a lot of ways. There are some things that we don't choose to have agency over. Well, you, know you, I mean? can't, you can't choose your parents in that way. I mean, they have to have agency for you. And that's not always a bad thing. It's, it's certainly not, but I think part of the complexity, I, I have this theory about parenthood that I'll have to wait and see if it turns out true. But I think, I think one reason parenthood is such a lively metaphor for almost everything is that it's a constant oscillation between testing limits and running back to security. And I think you do that through college, really. You know, Think about all the times your kid, like my, my daughter, will just start you know, tearing ass and running. And I'm trying to increasingly not go, hey, don't run away. But at a certain point, she stops and she turns and she panics. Right? If she goes too far, and there's a car or something, you know what I mean? Then suddenly she's tested a limit. She's reached a point where she goes, oh, I've gone too far. Right. And then she says, wow, I really need to get back to dad. Mm. Right? And I think, and, but then think also then about like the same, you know, maybe 18 years from now, it might be something where she's like, you know, I want $1,000, you know, for this, for this thing that I want or, or get me a car. But then there's also like, you're not allowed to criticize my face tattoo. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's. I think that that almost defines the relationship in some ways. Is that we're there to be this steward for this person, and to pro- provide the amount of. Who said this? Was it was it Sir, was it Syracuse that said this? Somebody said somebody smart said said this. Uh, have his have, oh no, it was David Allen. I think said this. Have as few rules as possible, but but um, you know, but be very slavish about enforcing them. Anyway, that's kind of a derail, but I guess that's more of a metaphorical agency. But I guess it, I think this relates to a lot of what we've talked about, especially in the you know, four, five, six, seven episode arc in talking about, well, gosh, what do we do to get out on our own? What do we do to make the decisions to decide what we want? And I think the elephant in the room a lot of times is agency. Hmm. Because when you say things like, remember the, the Dan Benjamin character talking about, well, you know, they don't let me do cool stuff in my job. Well, think about the agency aspect of that. You know, or for that matter, go back to the first paragraph of S1E1 and what couldn't you ship, right? Well, in that case, you're looking for agency to this other person. You're looking to all these other people. And whether you expressly need permission from those people or not, is it not fair to say the thing that is, for whatever reason, stopping you from doing something is the assumed need for agency for their permission, for their buy-in, if you like. Do you know what, do you know what I mean? Yeah. What do you, what do you think of that? Well, I, I, what I feel is that in my life, coming up through all of these different jobs, not talking about the, the parenthood thing, but being in, in the workplace, it took me a long time to get conscious, to be aware of what you're talking about. In other words, to realize that your boss is not sort of an all-seeing, all-knowing, supremely wise being who has your best interest in mind at all times. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it yeah. is the moment that I realized that my bosses were making stupid, ill-informed decisions for reasons that seemed completely crazy to me. And of course, back mm-hmm. then, I had no clue that that there were forces above them operating, and that there were things like you know profit margins and things they needed to think about. And it, to me, they were just making dumb decisions. And I, you know, at, at 22, I knew everything. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm still like that so much. It's something I really have to work to to catch myself at. And what is it? It's around the age of one that a child starts realizing that it's not a different person in the mirror. Right. Right. You put, a little, these, you put a little sticker on their head or some or a little dot or something, and they they instead of trying to touch it in the mirror, they touch it on their own head when they realize that. Right. Exactly. What there's a name for that? What is that? 
called? I'm what sure. is that called? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But but there's definitely for a pretty long time, well, gosh, just <laughs> I've joked before about, you know, finally coming out of puberty in my 30s, which really feels true in a lot of ways. Um, but Do you I have mean, the really, documentation on that? Well, I got, I got underarm hair. Um, <laughs> actually, I, when Dave was in the room once, I remember, Brown, ah, how, how, how am I going to get more secondary hair? Ah, can, I just, can I just borrow some of your secondary hair? I um, I know that uh, that's really, again, that's another ongoing thing when you're a little human growing up is mo- de- deriving more and more sense of, <laughs> well, just God, where do you start playing peekaboo, right? Little kids really think that when they cover your cover their own eyes, you can't see them. Right. They really do think that. Um, there's, there's a lot of things like that. And as you get older, think about lying. Like little kids don't think you realize that they're lying, you know? And, and to call it a lie at that point is a little tricky. To me, the difference in a lie and being a dishonest, to me, a lie is when you deliberately try to fool somebody about something you know is inaccurate. inaccurate. Um, but, but as you get older, you develop more and more of an idea that, well, not only is that kind of not cool, it's actually not smart. Because if somebody can tell I'm lying, <laughs> that's, that's not, really, not really wise. But then the point is, as you get older, you do develop more of a sense of other, you know, other people. And I think what you're describing, being a bad 22-year-old, I mean, I was like that. I was like that into my like thirties. I mean, in that sense of like the agency, and you know, and when I say entrusting agency, I don't think it's always a bad thing. I mean, what's the what could be better than having a cool boss? You know what I mean? And having a boss that where you never even you may not even realize till you're gone how cool they were. And like, I just think about that boss. I've talked about this guy Giles, who was my boss at the dot com job for a couple of years. Um, not even a couple of years. God it was less than that, but he was just—he was the best. And and you know, and he did so much to shield our group from stupid stuff. And he did so much to like try and get us more money or more stuff. And like, I, I didn't deserve any of the stuff he was getting me. But he was just a great guy, and we worked well together. He liked having me there. But I think mostly he was just doing it because he was a great guy. And uh, you know, I was in some ways I was so I was so childish. You know, in the same way that I think you can be really childish to go, hey. You know, I know we've got this chipset that needs to ship next week, but I really want to install this new bug tracker. Why, won't, why are you being a dick? Why can't I do that? You go, well, there's a variety of reasons. I know that's, that's a really straw man thing to say, but you've run into things like that, right? People who are just, you know what I mean? Like always looking for like why I didn't get to do the thing I wanted. Yeah. Well, and sometimes that agency is there for a reason. You know what I mean? Like, again, you're not allowed to play in traffic. I'll never forget this one day, though, where it was, it really was like the last days of Saigon. Our business model at this place, if you could call it that, was changing just about every week. You know, <clears throat> first we were B2C, then we were B2B, then we were an application service provider, even though absolutely nothing about what we did changed. It was just what we said to people. Not, by we, I mean the, the weasels who ran the company, God bless them. Um, but at one point I was saying to my boss, I, just, I was just browbeating this poor man. This is a guy who had to spend a lot of time with some really annoying people. Yeah. And then he'd come back to his cube and I would be there basically dunning him for assurances about the future. And, I, and, you know, and of course, this is a time when I'd be sitting there looking at Monster going, oh my gosh, I could work in San Francisco and you know, somebody with all my same made-up skills could make this much more and blah, blah, blah. And I'd say, you know, I'd go, eh, Charles, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. That total dick stuff. I would just go in there and go, yeah, well, I'm trying to be loyal to you. And like, he's the best boss in the world. And I would go in there and say this really dick stuff. And I'll never forget one day he said, he's really having a bad day. And I was being a, a jerk. And he said, Merlin, I can't afford your loyalty anymore. Ooh. And I was so um, hurt 
How old were the, you at this? In my 30s. Wow. But I, was, I needed to be hurt. He said exactly what needed to be said. I was crushed. But I, part, one of the reasons I was crushed and not mad was that he was right. He was right. I was looking for him to be my dad. I was looking for him to go out and fight my wars. Well, you know what? Mm. Merlin today would say, well, you know what? If you're not happy, why don't you go get another job? <laughs> if, you're, if you can't do it, well, either that, like, work it out. But, you know, and now today, again, that's today. I'm not great at it, but I certainly know that I, I don't want to, I, I can't count on other people to do that for me. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. like, that was really awful of me. So, Giles, I know you don't listen to this kind of stuff. He's really busy. He works at PayPal now. And, and uh, PayPal, eBay, one of those. But uh, he's a busy guy, and he's awesome. And he collects really interesting art. Um, but I don't know. Like, to me, that's been a real lesson over the years. Just that one side of agency. Just to, I'm, again, trying to just make this relevant for folks who aren't sitting around thinking about blog posts. Um, I mean, boy, if you're asking yourself, why is it that I'm stuck here? Well, ask yourself how much agency you've either, ex- you've either conferred or ceded or what. Um, how much of your agency has just atrophied by becoming more like my grandfather? But and just assuming you can, you can take back, right? You I can get you, that back. You can reclaim it. I think you can reclaim some of it, but I mean, if you work somewhere, like you don't just get to like make up all the rules and decide what you're going to do. Part of the trade-off of working in a place where you get a steady paycheck is that, well, the steadiness of that paycheck comes from having a somewhat mature system that the company runs on. But when you so you're, in the way you put that, Dan, are you talking about? By staying at a job or by going off on your own in some fashion? I mean, I, I was even thinking just by staying at a job, but by by taking taking it back, by doing more for yourself. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's some positions that you're going to be in at a company where you're they're they're clearly defined. But more times than not, the people that I knew that had a lot of responsibility at places, and myself included, were the people who just sort of stood up and and took it just started doing more, doing different things. They, if, if there weren't rules in place or things to keep them from doing it, they'd say, I'm going to do that now. Now that's my thing. I, I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, I mean, and, and this is, it gets complex here because we're talking to a lot of different folks and I, I certainly don't want to say every, you know, I think what you're describing though is the, is the classic Dan, ben, Dan Benjamin make-believe character. And that, that's somebody who's always looking to why somebody else was able to do that. Why, right? is, that, and, wait, why is that make-believe? Oh, you know the jokey, like, that's fine for Merlin character? I, that's all I meant. The, 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 I guess what I'm trying to say is the sort of person who looks at somebody else and goes, well, so to previous citations, oh, this, of course, that's fine for him. He has 60,000 followers. It's fine for this guy. He's got a popular co- You know what I mean? It's, it's like you're always, people are frequently, instead of grabbing that agency, they're looking at the people who did grab that agency mm. and going, what? Oh, there, that's, she's an aggressive bitch. Or... He is this, um, he's this, this uh, cowboy coder who's screwing it up for everybody. Well, you know, and, and I don't know, some of that stuff could be true. I don't know. But that's really all beside the point. What other people do is interesting in terms of the context for making your decisions. But like, wow, how's it going to work out for you over the next like 30 years is constantly looking at, in retrospect at whether you should do something, you know, based on, do, do you know what I mean? I'm, I guess yeah. I'm really 100% agreeing with you. And I think that you can start that in a million ways. Even if you're, you're the guy who dusts the blinds, if you've got a way you'd rather dust the blinds, like why don't you start dusting the blinds differently and then show that that worked better? Rather than saying like, you know, effectively, like I have this theory I want to test and I need everybody to agree with it. You know, if you're constantly asking people for permission to do things, this is going to sound really weird, but, but in my experience, anytime you ask somebody 
something, whether it's permission or do you like this, the natural inclination of people is going to be to wonder why you're asking them. If it was a good idea, you'd already do it by and large. If you ask somebody to do anything, you shouldn't be that surprised that they say maybe, no, or later because there's really not that much for most people to gain if you don't sound certain about what you're doing. I don't know if I'm putting that well. But, but if you go up to somebody and say, um, and you sound really like, like, a, like a beaten dog, and you go, you guys think we should try this new library and stuff? What if we were to try to change the commenting? If you sound like that, this kind of like sad sack guy, you know, I think people are going to be very unlikely to get behind that. I was talking to a, a pal of mine who's um, a programmer, and talking about some trouble he's been having internally because he really wants to, he's been working on this program that he thinks would be really useful to either share with people in similar, um, in this case, um, uh, nonprofits or something you could actually probably sell like a, as a SaaS, like a software as a service thing. And he's talking about how he keeps getting pushback. Well, I, I think he, I was telling him, I think he got pushback because he took it to his, sure, you don't want to go over your boss's head, but his boss is like a, like a, like a, like a, I don't want to be too broad here, but it's kind of he's like a business guy. Mm. Like he's, he's kind of, in, he's kind of got this weird diagonal line boss. So that, you know, he's not like a tech guy and he's not exactly, you know, he's not, you know, it's like, but that guy does not have a lot to gain by saying, oh, sure, let's go like open up a new business unit. And what I said to him was, boy, if it was me, you know what I'd do? I, I would go make a working prototype. And then when I happened to be walking by the most powerful guy in the company, I'd pull out my iPhone and go, can I show you something real quick? Isn't that kind of neat? I made that this weekend and it would save us $90,000 a year. Isn't that kind of cool? I mean, I don't know if that would work, but like if you show somebody a working prototype rather than ask permission to make a prototype, I think you're going to get a much better reaction. And I'm not saying you should like go not do your work to do that, but I think anybody at Google would tell you that that's how a lot of stuff is a product you're using today is it isn't like somebody sat around and waited for the subcommittee to decide whether it was okay for you to do this. Right. And I'm not saying go wildcat here. I want to use the term cowboy coding. I know I don't mean in the sense of like defy the standards of the group and don't follow the rules because that's obviously critical. But is that along the lines of what you were thinking, Dan? Exactly. And that, it's, it's difficult, though, for a lot of people. It was difficult for me early on to contain that, not to, not to do it, but to contain it, to not be doing that constantly, to not constantly say, and then you kind of feel like you're, well, if, if you have a perception about it, you begin to feel like it, it, it's almost like when the new guy shows up and he's raring to go and he's loading the truck really fast and you're like, Mm-hmm. Hey man, you know, not, not so yeah. easy. <laughs> we got, you know, we got a lot of time, you know, and yeah. and it's that kind of thing that yeah. You know, I always was always became worried about that is that you know you you don't want to be that guy. Totally not. But I also wonder on some level if this gets us back to that what we talked about on the inspiration visit, uh, where it's you know. If you're somebody who's who's really frustrated in that situation because of your lack of agency, um, I wonder I wonder how many people who are in that position have in fact shipped three super cool things mm. at, in that position. Because my gut would be that they haven't, and so I think it's worth decoupling a couple things. So you know, first of all, well, you got to do you do have to get back to that expertise thing and go like, well, you know, why don't you maybe on your own go and work on some version of what you're talking about. I don't know if you've got a sandbox. I don't know if it's something you can work on at home. You know, and again, this, this is not just for programmers. This could be for anything. Whatever it is that you want to do, I think there's several angles, and I'm rehashing a little bit, but just quickly to, to wrap up this one piece. I think, I think if, if you're frustrated in that sense, like you're inside of a job and you're going, where is this going? I can't do anything cool. I think there's several 
little kind of gateways where you might want to take a step back and, and look at where you really are? Well, first of all, is the thing that you're thinking about doing going to be really obviously super valuable to a decision maker or to a number of decision makers? If it's, if it's just something where you and your buddy think it would be fun to do this in Scala, well, find a way to, to, to show that to somebody in a way that comports with their concerns and their interests. Like if you just go up and say, hey, here's this thing I read about on Twitter. Can we do it? You're not going to get a great reaction because that person has a very different set of concerns. I stole just uh, in terms of uh, – I stole that line from David Allen about you're just an operational detail. Um, I think that's such a great line. You know, He talks about – you know, people in his seminars who come in and go, oh, you know, um, my boss won't let me do this. My boss won't let me do that. And he's like, well, you know, seriously, and I, I am cribbing this to some extent from a very old seminar of his, but he said, you know, it's their job to please their boss. You're just an operational detail. I think once you accept that, I was, I was an oper- I should have been an operational detail for Giles. It's just that we were friends, really good friends. And he was just being too nice of a guy. Um, and I didn't realize that I should have been more operational <laughs> for him. <laughs> You know, uh, I gosh, either either get with the program or uh, <laughs> go find another job. What what movie is that from? Where they go when you say lead follower, get out of way, out of the way. You're, <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to get out. You're supposed to lead. You know what I mean? Oh man, I, well here's here. So here's a real question for you. And this was yeah. something that I struggled with all the time. After a while, after I started to become like cynical at my job and and you know hating it and hating that I had to have a job. Uh, at all was like I, I would go in there and I'd it's like I felt like if I really really put a hundred percent of what I was doing into this and really cared uh, then I would be really disappointed because the m- bosses the management whoever would would really screw up this thing that I was going to work really really uh, really, totally, really 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 totally. hard on and I became like resentful of that and would automatically not want to put a hundred percent into it anymore and that's what would always inspire me to try and do things on my own or do things independently because I was like, well, at least there I can create something that if it's awesome, I can put it out there and people will know about it. And, and instead of trying to change things at work, I just sort of, you know, like folded, you know, I'm like, well, guess what? You, you, you know, you're going to screw it up anyway, or you're only paying me for 60% of what I'm worth. Well, you're going to give you 60% of what I'm worth. That's, that's actually an excellent bridge um, to the larger agency issue, I think. Um, but, but, First of all, yeah, I totally agree with you, but there's an, <clears throat> there's a phenomenon, um, and this is probably not germane to what you're describing, knowing, knowing what I know about you, but there's just as a slight derail into the world of creative work, I think there's this thing that happens. Um, Idi- idiocracy, uh, KR15 says. Oh, is that where the quote is from? Oh, it totally is. Okay. That's ex- thank you so much. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, God, I love that movie so much. <laughs> so good. Um, but the, the, so you're saying, yeah, the not hundred percent part, like, I don't even, I don't even know if I want to like, you're feeling like this, this kind of like baseline half acidness yeah of like, uh, oh gosh, I don't even know. Hey Josh, make sure you get that one. That's a pretty good one. Um, (laughs) I, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure I want to do this, but can I just say like a kissing cousin of that phenomenon is what people call writer's block or that inability to like, I can't write a song. I can't write a block. I can't, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, advice that I've given to other people that I've also given and taken myself, this sounds stupid, but like instead of trying to make one thing until you're good at making one thing regularly, try and make three things. So instead of writing, trying to write one song this weekend, try to write three songs and and just say, you know what? They're all going to be crappy, but I'm going to complete three songs. 
Or, or in that case, you might say, well, I'm going to just write a, uh, a prototype. I'm going to make this class that does one thing and test it and see if it works. I, I don't know exactly what an example would be. But I think what you're describing, the kissing cousin of what you're describing, is this like, oh, my real resistance to, in the, in the Stephen Pressfield sense, my real resistance to this in some ways is I'm not sure I can do this. Mm. You know what I mean? If I were sure I could do this, it'd be done. It really would. It wouldn't be a question of needing permission. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If think about that, I mean, it's, let's go straight back to these issues around confidence as well. If you're confident, if you're confident, oh, this is another one of my dumb Merlinisms. But if you're feeling really confident, you don't notice that you're confident. It's just like you know, it's sort of related to the chick sent me high flow idea. Like the only time you notice your lack of confidence is when you don't have confidence. If you're, you know what I mean? If you're, if you're on top of your game, you're not, you're not going, gosh, I certainly am confident today, <laughs> right? <laughs> it sounds so stupid and obvious, but it's true. If you're really confident, you're just doing stuff. Right. And when Ch- Csikszentmihalyi talks about this notion of flow, right? And flow is where you, you don't have to sit there and consult your to-do list. You don't have to sort through your 100 index cards. You just have this sense of you're, you're not, it's really what I think everybody strives for. It's, you know, you have those mornings where you're like, holy God how did I get 10 times more things done today? Like, what is the magic special sauce for this? What coconut headphones do I need to replicate this? Because, oh my God, I want every day to be like this. And some people do it. I think it does come very much out of expertise and it comes out of getting the right medicine and, and the right coffee. But, but I, think, I think when you're in a state of flow, it is partly a sense of confidence. It's a sense of, uh, actually, Csikszentmihalyi has this wonderful chart that I used to have over my computer. I think it fell down. Um, that explains the challenge versus expertise matrix. And if you're, if you're in a situation where you're highly challenged at something that you have a lot of expertise, you have a very, very high level of engagement. If you're working at something where you're high, highly challenged, but you have very little expertise, you get really frustrated. I'm not getting all these words right because I don't have it in front of me. Right. But at the same time, if you have something that's extremely low challenge, but a high level of expertise, you're going to be bored, right? And so, so let's say, let's say, you know, you can figure where things like uh, mountain climbing and watching TV and, you know, tagging MP3s all have a place on this matrix. So it is worth, worth, worth asking yourself whether it's about a project or a task or whatever is to say to yourself, well, where am I on the matrix with this? Right. Maybe one reason I'm really frustrated with this is that I'm trying to do too much here. I'm trying to change too many pieces at once about this. You know, I have to say that I've, uh, one of my projects, I don't think it's a failure, but I've talked before about, you know, one reason I love working with you, the Merlin show was so hard for me because first of all, it was kind of costly to make. I mean, it really in terms of hours and just, it took so long to You're do. You're talking about your, your video Yeah, interview. a video show yeah. I did with Ben Durbin, the wonderful Ben Durbin. And like, we both worked really hard on it, but it was a lot of work and a lot of time in Final Cut Pro, even to make those little dumb things, even just getting it up in Drupal would take like a long time. And, um, I always and, liked the stuff that you would have on the whiteboard behind you, the different messages. Oh, you've seen it. That's really cool. Thanks. We did that at Pixel Core. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. Did you see how calm I was in this? Very. What happened? Yeah, I don't know. Did you watch the Jonathan Colton one? Yep. Isn't it good? Isn't he nice? Really nice. Can I tell you something? Mm-hmm. That's going to make me cry. Uh, I did that interview with him um, the week I found out we were going to have a baby. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's a... Uh, when I go back and watch that, it's really emotional for me because I couldn't like let it out. But anyway, huh? Let, here we go again. Cut that out, Jim. <clears throat> no more crying. <laughs> There's no crying in podcasting. <laughs> but, um, but you know what I realized? Um, if I, when I finally did a mental postmortem on that, I loved doing that show. I didn't care if people thought they were too long. I think the interviews that John Roderick and I did are hilarious. If you don't like those, I can't help you. Like, I still want to do a show with Roderick just because he is such a pistol. 
And they were so fun to do. I loved those. Uh, the interview with Vanderslice. Oh, my God. <laughs> Contributed to him no longer being on Barsook, unfortunately. <laughs> but his thing going off on the music industry is just canonical. But you know what I did wrong? I tried to do too many things at one time for the first time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and what is S1E5 or whatever when I ask you if you're spreading yourself too thin? Yeah. I was spread too thin. It was my first time trying to do a video project with continuity. It was my first time trying to be really you know, a producer of, of media. It was my first time being on air. You know what I mean? It was like too many things I was trying for the first time. And if we go back to that episode of The Pipeline, do you remember? I don't know if you remember, but you asked me like, what, how do I pick new projects? Right. That was specifically what I had in mind when I said, I try to ask myself if I'm doing too many things for the first time right now. Because I think really an ideal project in some ways is something with a high level of challenge, and, but, but also where you have some high level of expertise. But then there's one piece of it that's really new and really creative and really exciting. And you go, so I mean, what's a great example of that? Well, man, I, I can do podcasts in my sleep. Obviously, I can talk forever. Uh, I, I feel like I know some of these topics pretty well. But doing it with Dan is like a new thing. You know what I mean? Like that's the new. So this has been like a not unsuccessful thing, partly because I'm not the one producing it. I'm not the one who has to go out and, you know, build the controllers for the site. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, uh, well, you know, can I just say, Dan, if you're going to buy more controllers, just check, check the expiration date. <laughs> okay. Because a lot of those, especially the artisanal ones or the organic ones, uh-huh. they, um, a lot of those ship, you know, uh, what they've done with a lot of them, they use uh, GMAs. That's good but we're doing there. all grass-fed controllers now. Oh, that's good. Those taste like fish. You ever notice that? <laughs> I got a lot of problems with paleo, Dan. I got a lot of problems. I know. We need to talk. Um, My wife is disappointed. Well, not disappointed. It's the wrong word. She was very hopeful that you were going to try it. Oh, no, I'll, you know, I'll come back to it. I need to make more money. It's very costly. Have you yeah. ever tried to buy a whole elk? I tried to split an elk with... Uh, with another family. Well, with Michael Pollan. Um, <laughs> Michael Pollan, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Boy, talk about that's fine for Merlin. He is my canonical that's fine for, that's fine for Michael Pollan. Right. So you know, you know what you guys should do? You should eat more organic kale. <laughs> you know what we should do? We should have government subsidies. Oh, that's great. You know, like all, all the people in uh, Detroit, they can go down to their local artisanal kale shop. Idiot. God, that guy bugs me. You're eating wrong. Um, <laughs> says the guy who lives next door to Berkeley Bowl. Anyway, um, I don't know. I'm sure he's a nice guy. And I confuse him with Michael Shabon, which is a shame because that guy's a great writer. Mm. Um, we got off topic. But um, I hope that's useful, though, to think about that. And, go. you know, let's go find that... Um, by the way, can I just say the only rem- way I can remember how to spell that guy's name is that there's a mnemonic, Chick Sent Me High. Do you know how to actually spell his name? I saw you, I saw you put that mnemonic thing. You have a screenshot of your text expander. <laughs> when did you see that? Uh, some, a long time ago. Yeah, well, like a week ago after last, after last week's show because I think we had it. You mentioned him and oh, I was I? trying to get the oh. spelling. You ready for this, Dan? Yeah. First name. M-I-H-A-L-Y. Last name. C-S-I-K-S-Z-E-M-N-T-M-I-H-A-L-Y-I. I'll read that again. C-S-I-K-S-Z-E-N-T-M-I-H-A-L-Y-I. <laughs> Chick sent me high. Oh, I love that. Uh, he's got one really good book and then some books, some other books. Um, and, uh, but he talks about flow. And I think that the, the idea of that matrix, you, as you can tell, as unmathematical as I am, 
I, I'm really interested in that kind of this, sort of like where does this figure on an XY axis. I think it's a really neat chart. And it's the reason I mention it here, uh, even though it's a derail, is I think it is good for troubleshooting when you ask yourself, you know, and if I'm, if I'm having trouble with this, you can call it procrastinating or whatever, but is it really that like, you know, boy, if I'm sitting here tagging MP3s all day and Dan, can I just say fixing metadata on things? I am a Viking. I can fix I, my <laughs> metadata, man. And then I'll go in, in, in an MP3 file. You mean? Oh dude, is, is part of compilation? Yes. Is gapless? Yes. Oh, wait a minute. But you know, actually I'm going to go ahead and make all my E street band stuff album artist Bruce Springsteen so that it'll sort right. And then I got to go and fix in all the iTunes stuff because they, the, they, the, they put the release date, you know what I mean, of the current release rather than the year it was put out. So I got to go fix all of that. So, you know, that takes, I'm really good at that and it's really, really easy. So on the Chick Sent Me High Matrix, <laughs> that's, you know, that's pretty, pretty low down on the, uh, on the difficulty. But anyway, I think it's an interesting idea. And so what's the big pattern there? A big pattern there is to, is to ask yourself, what's the next thing I could do that would provide me the sweet spot in terms of something I have a high level of expertise, and, uh, um, and, but, but would also be a high level of challenge. And then to the Marco point, you might say to yourself, well, wait a minute, boy, I, I suddenly don't feel like I've got so much challenge here at work. You know what I mean? I, I think you've got to find your sweet spot. See, I think a challenge, though, that's something that I think would be a really, really cool, because we talked about, we did the inspiration show. Right. I think we need to do a challenge one. Tell me what you mean by that. Because so often, and, and again, looking back at the jobs that I've had, you start out and you feel really challenged. And then at some point you realize that maybe the job hasn't changed, but you're no longer feel challenged. And how do you address that? Um, I don't know if we should talk about that no, on this show. Well, but yeah, we probably don't have time. I, I still want to talk about agency. We probably don't have time. But to, to, I'll tell you why I think that happens. And again, I've talked about this with Tom the Shrink. Um, why is it, for example, um, that you ever notice the first time you drive somewhere? Let's say you got to take a 25-mile drive somewhere you've never been. Right. You ever notice how it takes, it seems like it takes a really long time Forever. to get there? Forever. And then it, takes, it seems like it takes so much less time going back? Yeah. Well, that's a flavor of that's been there, done that heuristic, right? There's chunking that has occurred where now you can go, oh, I've already done this. I'm just doing it in reverse now. And the more often you do that drive, the shorter it seems. That's because you're taking in less of that information. You've already chunked off a lot of that information, right? Do you have a, dri- you- a current driver's license? I think so. Do you drive very much in, in, where you lived in San Francisco? As or? little as possible. As little as possible. Because there's always this interesting phenomenon related to what you're talking about. The driving back in reverse thing is a lot of the time if you're not being mindful and paying attention, you're almost not really thinking about where you're going. Like if you just want to drive around to the, the grocery store and you get in the car and you drive and it takes you 10 minutes and mm-hmm. you don't really, you realize maybe you haven't thought at all about how you got there, about how you were driving. Like oh, you didn't totally. think about starting the car or driving. You're just like in your mind, you're somewhere else. And then all of a sudden, oh, I'm at the grocery store now. Oh, dude, I, I, I'll tell you my example of that is whenever I would drive to my mom's house, I drive from Tallahassee or Sarasota to, to where she lives yeah. on the Sun Coast. And, and there would be these parts where I, whatever, it would be like the, you know, be listening to All Things Considered or something and going down the road. And, uh, and, and so I'd suddenly go, I'm driving a car. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly I, what I'm I talking about. I don't rem- I can kind of remember bits of this. I certainly remember like different things that have, but wow, I wasn't really thinking about driving for a really long time. But you know another funny, like maybe unrelated thing. But when I listened to the uh, Trigger Bites on the Bus Driver episode, I was listening to that when I was walking around in um, Wellington. You know, while I was at at the thing, and I, I can I, when I when I if I listen to it again now, I remember exactly 
where I was when we were talking about certain parts. The part where I was talking about being in high school and, and failing classes, I was getting a cup of coffee at this coffee place. Isn't that weird? Do you ever get that? Yeah. Do you ever get that imprinting? Yeah. With something? It's so, that's totally. so weird. Um, so, well, let's just, uh, God, there's so many things we should close up. As, as, as somebody once commented about me, I never close my parentheses. We've got a bunch of good things that are open right now that we should close. Um, okay, so for the agency at work stuff, I mean, that's, boy, that, there, there's a lot to that. But I, I agree with you, Dan. I think there is stuff you can, and then really on some level, though, it, it all goes back to saying how much are you willing, even in that implicit way that your boss is your agent in a lot of ways. Well, think about it this way. Well, you know, maybe your agent would get you more gigs if you were more interesting or if you were more, for that matter, maybe if you were just more productive, if you like. I, I don't know what the answer is. It's going to vary for everybody. But I, you know, I think the unavoidable pattern is to say, I, well, you know, I should be choosing who gets my agency, wh- whether I deserve it or not. And if I don't deserve who decides who gets my agency, then, that, then I'm the one that needs to change. I don't need to get a better agent. I need to make a better me. That's good. Mm-hmm. Is that pretty good? Yeah, re- very re- good. Re- re- listening for that part? Oh, yeah. I didn't know it was coming. <laughs> yeah. Um, can I just say one thing about agency? And Because I, 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 I just think the original idea of agency in conferring, you, when you talked about the not wanting to give 100% because you weren't so sure, and yeah. gosh, if I give them to they might screw it up. Yeah. That is my concern with the other people agency part, to be honest, mm. is I think about like, one I'm comfortable talking about is, um, well, God, before I got the literary agent I've got, I used to just, it was so annoying to me because yeah, I'm self-involved, but like I, I've gotten this dumb stuff that I've gotten by being comfortable with a certain kind of complexity to what I do, just in the sense of being like, there are some people who know me as the guy who made that really annoying camera video. And there are some people who know me as this guy who cried. Like, like yesterday I met a guy who'd seen that video. It was really weird. I saw him at Brown Owl Coffee and he was like, I just saw a video you were in. I was like, oh, Thanks. I hope it was okay. Well, yeah, it was kind of weird, but it was okay. But like, you know, he's not going to know me as the get out by a hammer guy. Right. Because he doesn't know that bit, but that's okay. Because some people really hated that, even though they didn't get it. It was a parody. But, you know which one um, I like? I like that one where you're talking into your wallet. Oh, God. I love, do you have a favorite one of those? <sighs> have you really watched that? Out oh, of yeah. Fun. Yeah, lots of I watched that and didn't put together that you were the same guy that I'd been reading all those years. And to the first time I saw it. I don't think you were really reading me, Dan. I don't believe that for a minute. Okay. Yeah. But you know, I've watched Encoder. That's a bookmark. I've, oof, mm. goes way back. God, I love you. But um, to this point, I'll, I'll make this brief because I know we're running long, but I think this would be worth continuing in a future episode because, Definitely. boy, talk, talk about some cautionary tales. Well, I'll just, let me just give you one example. I don't like agency because I... Um, I'm self-involved enough that, that there's nuance to what I'm saying sometimes that, that I put so poorly that it's not, I'm not clear how important it is to me to make that nuance clear. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I hope somebody writes all of that down because it's exactly. There is a guy out there transcribing everything you say. That, you know, I would love, I, I think I might've mentioned this to you. I'm going to go ahead and say it on the air. I would love to cut a deal with casting words because I love them and I'd like to get some free casting words service. I would love to cut, cut a deal with them or somebody who would do transcriptions for our show and give, we could give them some kind of a deal. That's the thing I wanted to talk to you about. Mm. But I think, you know, no, I don't know. Not, I don't know if it'd be a full sponsorship unless they wanted to pay the dough, but I think it'd be neat to have a transcript of this. I think it really would. Did, if, did if you know, did you know, I don't know if you knew this, but people can sponsor this show. Are you kidding me? No. Oh, by the way, I've been working on the thing. Oh, good. We have a really cool thing that Merlin's been working on. Yeah, you, you know what really helped? I downloaded, I downloaded GarageBand for the iPad. Oh, oh, that thing is great. Oh, my God. 
Oh my God. I love it so much. I'm going to add my favorite, that phone guy, which I just, I just found my favorite one. I'm going to add that one to, can I ask which one? Should it be a surprise? Do you want me to just tell you? No, I can be a surprise. I just a few. I think, I think some of them for the the one where, um, not this quarter is pretty good. Um, where the guy's eating, uh, eating celery in the, uh, in the lounge. See, you have to understand these all start, they almost all start because somebody is being a douche in an airport and I want to make fun of them in front of them. Yeah. So understand that almost every phone guy, except the one like where I'm holding my daughter to my ear or whatever. Right. Or, or, you know, but if, if you see me in an airport, it's because I'm making fun of someone that's sitting next to me. Just so you know. My favorites are always the early ones, but I have both of them. Uh, both of my favorites are now like in. Still on the ground? In or, the shot. Uh, okay. All right. Good. Thank you. Because um, it was very pure back in the beginning. Very, very, very pure. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell, tell me what you wish I did more of. I just wish you did more of these still today. Everything. Do more of everything. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. I'll do more. I'll do one today. Um <laughs> I gotta go. I'll go find a douche. Um, but but let me in San Francisco. That shouldn't be too hard, dude. I want to start. I want to start a whole thing. I want a Tumblr for douchebags talking into the wrong part of their phone. Okay, like so. You see these guys, and they let's be honest. These are douchebags, and they're walking around with whatever phone they've got, and they got their headphones on. And I wish you had a visual for this, but imagine I've got white iPodish, you know, white Apple headphones, mm-hmm. and I'm holding up my information, and I'm holding up my information phone because I've seen people do this on a reality show, talking into it like a piece of pizza, even though the <laughs> microphone is not there. Right. Right? They, they do that thing because they've seen, they, they've seen two things on TV. They've seen people hold the cord for their, for their headphones when they talk on the phone because you're supposed to do that when you talk on the right. phone. Right, you hold and it up, they, yeah. And, and then they talk into the phone ass. They don't, they don't talk <laughs> into the little thing. You know, you know what I'm saying? I do. So they go, ah? <laughs> I do. Yeah, 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 no, no, we're still, I, I, no, no, Montgomery Street, yeah. No. <laughs> you tell him he's fired. No, I can't hear anything you're saying. And, and, but they're talking into the wrong part. And I, 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 I want to I capture that. I want to capture that. It's, um, I have been approached by so many people for various kinds of agency. And I think, you know, this is what happens. This is really not any different from, this is a different show, isn't it? It might it's be. It's a different show. We should stop. This is long enough. We should stop. We should stop. Should we stop? You want to button it up? Yeah, let's do it. <sighs> Agency. <sighs> Was there anything else? Should we close any other parentheses? Uh, let's see. Sorry, 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 Giles. Um, uh, to, to try harder. Um, Marilyn Manson. Incense. I think that's everything. <laughs> I think so. Let's button it up. All right. I love you. Love you too.
Yeah, no, no, we're still, I, I, no, no, Montgomery Street, yeah, no. <laughs> you tell him he's fired. No, I can't hear anything you're saying. You're eating wrong. Ron, how, how, how am I going to get more secondary hair? <sighs> you know what we should do? We should have government subsidies. Can I, just, can I just borrow some of your secondary hair? You know what you guys should do? You should eat more organic kale. Turn me around, Bullseye, so I can see.